Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Royal Doll Retrospective, where we're going to be taking a look at every single adaptation of uh, Royal Doll's shorts and books. I am Patricia. And I am Aaron. And uh, today we are going to go into the proper order of the adaptations by discussing about the very first movie adaptation. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the 1965 film, 36 Hours, which was based off of a 1944 short written by Roald Dahl called Beware of the Dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like uh, this film really, um, I would say you're just reacting to it. It is a bit of a mixed bag, and so, like, there are some stuff I do like about it, and there are some stuff I don't like about it. I mean, um, I guess you could say some of it is obviously um, an element of its time, but then there are other bits of it which I think are actually, uh, I guess you could say, quite clever, and I guess you could say were kind of like, uh, I guess you could say were breakthroughs at the time uh, of uh, when they did this, but, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's go through it and let's see what we think. All right, here we go. So as mentioned before, uh, 36 Hours was based off of a short story called Beware of the Dog. Beware of the Dog stars an RAF pilot by the name of Peter Williamson who sustained a serious injury while flying on a mission over to France. And while he injected himself, he landed uh, himself in the hospital in Brighton and he finds himself having his leg amputated and he's speaking to a nurse who is discussing about how, um, you know, he's in this hospital, he needs to get some rest. And the um, and then, you know, Peter started to notice some weird things going on about, how, like, how the water is a little bit off and that some of the people are acting strange. But then, as time goes on, um, he starts uh, to suspect something is going wrong when he sees a sign outside that says Garde au chien, which is French for beware of the dog. So he knows that he's not in Brighton. He's still in France and the people who have been taking care of him are actually Germans in disguise as British soldiers and the short story ends with him being interrogated so um, yeah basically uh, they decided to take this concept of the short story and adapt it into a full length film and this isn't the first time in which um, you know you have adaptations based off of his shorts like for example there have been many cases in which uh, Beware of the Dog has been adapted uh, one was this, obviously, and then another one, which would be a TV movie that came out close to uh, 20 years later called Breaking Point, which we'll discuss about another time. So uh, have you had a chance to actually read the short story, Aaron? I'll be honest with you, I haven't actually had a chance to actually read the short, but uh, I have actually watched the uh, 36 Hours movie, and uh, I, I guess uh, for me, um, you can definitely tell there are some elements of a Roald Dahl, I guess you could say Roald Dahl film in this. I mean, like, uh, there is the um, kind of like the uh, imagination uh, that's in this. I like you see, like, you know, things like, you know, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and, uh, you know, the BFG. And uh, we're not really talking about, like, fantasy elements. We're kind of talking about, like, a, a construct that is uh, very complex and uh, has very many elements to it. And, uh, but at the same time, can also kind of, like, be easily understood. 
And so it's uh, it definitely has like a lot of uh, Roald Dahl's kind of hallmarks uh, attached to it. And uh, so even though it's, uh, I guess you could say it's like you know what Roald Dahl wrote, but then was then readapted, obviously to have uh, you know American tones and does have uh, various other uh, aspects put into it as well. You could definitely tell that uh, Roald Dahl, even if he didn't have his name on it, had some kind of element, uh, had some kind of inspiration on uh, what was then put on the screen. Right, exactly. So, yeah, 36 Hours uh, was a 1965 film, and it stars James Garner, Ava Marie Saint, and Rod Taylor. So, very similar to Beware of the Dog, it does take place during the war, which specifically is World War II, and instead of focusing on an RAF soldier, it focuses on a U.S. major. And instead of uh, Peter Williamson, instead it's uh, Jeffrey Pike. And uh, basically, the movie begins with um, learning about the plans of Normandy, which is uh, basically where the U.S. soldiers are going to be going up to Normandy, France, and make their major attack over there. And while he's in Lisbon, that is when they slip a drug into his coffee, and so they decide to take him into this uh, German location that's um, disguised as a American hospital over in Germany, and they decide to put some dye in his hair, they augmented his eyes a little bit to make it seem like he's almost going blind, to make it appear like he's five years older. And so when he comes to, he is told that the war has been over for five years, and and it said it's May 1950, even though in reality it's only been like two or three days since it happened. Yeah, I guess, I mean, obviously talking about, I mean, I like the fact that, uh, you know, th- this is something that Nazi Germany would do. Like, you know, they, they, they would take, uh, you know, an element of land and they would uh, obviously, you know, construct this entire thing. Because I remember reading about uh, uh, the trains that would take, uh, you know, the Jews, obviously, to the, uh, to the concentration camps. And uh, they would actually disguise the stations as like looking like... Uh, you know, something that uh, was far more pleasant than I actually was. And so, you know, it didn't uh, surprise me that, uh, you know, the I, I'm not too sure if that drew inspiration, I think, from uh, from that. And uh, the fact that they would, uh, you know, it would be something that Nazi Germany would do. Like, they would create this kind of, like, pleasant, like, scenario, like this kind of fake fantasy, if you will. And uh, then, obviously, you know, try and fall Pike into that, uh, you know, this is actually a real thing that's happening right now, not realizing that he's actually being... You know, he's basically being psychologically, you know, tortured at this point. You know, uh, you know, obviously with uh, everything that's going on around him, and you know, this uh, big, uh, you know, big charade that they're having uh, at the moment. Exactly. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if during World War II that um, Germans would actually try to convince the Allies, like the British or the French or the Americans, and trying to fool them, saying that you know this amount of time has passed, and you know, or you know, they try to be friendly enough to say, "Hey, uh, what do you know about this particular invasion that's going on? Do you know where the troops are landing?" So, uh, the fact that Roald Dahl was in World War II and he was an RAF pilot, I guess because you know with Beware of the Dog, in which uh, Peter Williamson was an RAF pilot, which is not too surprising. I guess that maybe there are some parts in the war that Roald Dahl based off of some of his experiences. So I I wouldn't be too surprised if they actually did do something like this. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's uh, um, one of the uh, amazing things about this is that uh, a lot of it is obviously you know based around you know well at least some of it anyway is uh, has uh, is coming from 
a experience of actually being in you know the army and uh, obviously you know kind of being briefed on intelligence and things like that and that's something that Roald Dahl you know during that time would have would have been like you know being an RAF pilot he would have known sort of uh, where to fly and so he would have known basically some of the kind of inner mechanics of uh, of, uh, of field intelligence and things like that so uh, yeah, that translates well into uh, you know not just into the beware of, beware of the dog but obviously into uh, the movie we're talking about now 36 hours and uh, I think um, for for me it was uh, it's quite it's quite telling when you have somebody who is experienced in something and uh, uses that experience obviously to tell uh, a dramatic story like this. And so it's uh, it, re- it really shows that uh, you know the the imagine you know it kind of powers the imagination doing that. Yeah, and this was during Royal Dahl's phase in which he was writing a lot more suspense stories. Uh, a lot of people compared him to Alfred Hitchcock with the way he wrote his stories and the way he told his uh, short tales that were adapted into books and into magazines. Uh, tales of the Unexpected, which was an anthology series that Royal Dahl did, was compared a lot to Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And even some of the um, short stories were even in Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So for a lot of people, they may not think of this movie as like a definitive Roald Dahl adaptation, but that's because we're more familiar with his more fantasy whimsical stories like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the BFG, the witches, Matilda, James and the Giant Peach. This is definitely like towards the stuff that he would write back in the 60s. Like his yeah, more I, I would be very stuff. surprised if, uh, you know, well, I say, the, I, I'd be very surprised if 36 Hours actually was able to actually be aired in Germany. Like, you know, there's a reason why uh, you know, Willy Wonka and the BFG and, uh, you know, can gain worldwide, uh, you know, appeal because uh, a lot of people, you know, there, there was a lot less Nazis in, uh, <laughs> in those movies. Well, actually, were... <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll actually discuss about this in the next episode that Willy Wonka wasn't allowed to air in Germany until the remake of, uh, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory came out, if you can believe it. Okay, then, well, uh, maybe, maybe I'd be wrong about that. But, uh, I mean, like, uh, in regards to um, 36 Hours, I probably imagine it would probably had uh, a lot less appeal, I think, because at the end of the day, it was still somewhat kind of like, you know, yay America a little bit when you when you look at this film, like, you know, the... Uh, uh, and so it was... Uh, you, you can tell there was that aspect of it still within, uh, I think, going 20 years off the war, I think, and so... Um, I think uh, yeah, exactly. that those types of movies, I mean, like they're good for Amer- an American audience. But in regards to, I mean, we're going to talk about. Uh, I mean, we, is it really fair to talk about the box office for this film? Really, given the fact that you know the movie going public was isn't as big as like it is now today in 2019. You know, like you know, yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah, that, that, that sure. movie blockbusters can like make like a billion dollars now at the box office. You know, compared to like you know what was it the two million dollars that now that uh, 1965 could give you at that time. I think I tell you what, why you why you. Uh, why tell you more about the movie? Let me let me work this out for inflation while you're doing that. Give me yeah, no second. problem. Okay, so um, so I, the one thing that I really did appreciate was that uh, the guy who was responsible for this um, this particular task, his name is uh, Walter Gerber, and he was the one who came up with the idea of changing the appearance of Pike, making him look like he's older, and uh, becoming a lot more friendly to him when he comes to. And he uh, has an assistant who is a nurse by the name of Anna, who was a, a former Jewish prisoner of Auschwitz and Ravensbrück. Uh, and she um you know tries to comfort him and she actually pretends that she is uh pike's wife because they were able to take uh his mother's engagement ring and she was wearing it throughout the entire time and throughout like the first third of the movie it's basically pike trying to come to the uh realization that 
it was five years after the war and um, there's all these people who come up to him and say hi and he has no recollection of them. And Gerber has this really convincing attitude discussing about like you know he went through some sort of amnesia that uh you know he would sometimes remember sometimes forget and he's currently in the uh he's he currently has his memory where he's stuck in the past as opposed to everything that happened five years um that came out afterwards and so they're trying to ask him all these questions about the war and about where the soldiers are going to be landing in next so that they can be able to prepare for a counterattack. And there's one of the characters um, in the movie, his name is Shaq. And he thinks that Gerber's idea is completely stupid. He doesn't think that it's going to work at all because uh, they tried it out with 18 other soldiers. And while it was a success, they got little to no information. But uh, Gerber thinks that it'll work because he is a U.S. Army major and he probably has a lot more information than compared to the foot soldiers. And so... Uh, just like in the title of the movie, he has 36 hours to interrogate Pike and get the information they need right before the SS takes over the whole operation. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about the fact that uh, you know, right off the get-go, the kind of like the dressing room wall has kind of like been broken, broken down at this point. Like you know, like we know that that's uh, what Pike is in is a is a is is fake. Like uh, they, they, this whole thing is staged to obviously get information out of him it's uh, you know this whole scenario it's kind of like you know um, it's uh, i guess it's kind of what made the truman show kind of boring because we kind of like knew that he was like in a tv show this entire time and like and now here we are here seeing pike and we like we know like from the get-go that this whole thing is a, is a ruse really to uh, yeah, exactly. see, uh, talk about that it would have been nice uh, like maybe he probably would have been probably more full forward thinking if they decided oh hey um this guy woke up and he thinks he's like five years from now maybe give him a little bit of backstory in the beginning of the movie and then kind of like have him kind of like figure out that what's actually happening isn't actually to be, you know, like uh, there's a far more going on than there's actually is being said. It's kind of like, yeah. uh, it, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, Oh, what's, uh, I mean, um, I guess we kind of already knew from the get go. I mean, you know, remember the, it was in the DC comics where um, I think Superman like woke up one day and like found that he's actually still on Krypton. But then realizes that he's actually just like some kind of parasite that's kind of like attached to him, feeding like uh, dreams. Yeah, into his yeah, head. something like that. Yeah, yeah I, I think like, I remember something like that. Yeah, like I remember they did like the uh, the animated version of it, but they kind of said from the get go that that was what was going on. But in the comic books, I mean, I could be wrong. Someone can point that out to me. But I think in the comic book, I don't think they actually did it that way. I think they only kind of like introduced that concept like further into the comic before, obviously saying, "Oh, hey, it's not actually real," you know. So, right, uh, exactly. Uh, and, uh, and and they actually uh, did do that in Beware of the Dog. And Beware of the Dog, uh, you know, Peter Williamson, you know, he had to eject out of, from the plane. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in the hospital room. He's told by the nurse that he was in Brighton and his leg was amputated and he couldn't, like, really go anywhere. But then he starts noticing that things are a little bit weird. Like, some of the people, the way that they're talking is a little bit strange. And he notices that the water is really hard. And, um, you know, he was told by the nurse that, you know, usually water in Brighton is soft, but then he notices that the water is hard. And so then he starts getting the pieces into his mind together. And then he immediately notices that he's in France when he sees the French sign uh, that, you know, that is translated to beware of dog. Yeah. So Peter was basically um, an, a, he had no idea on what was going on until like towards the last 
um, you know, the last paragraph of the short story. Well, us as an audience for Pike, we already knew that this was going to go on from the moment that they drugged him, they took him into the helicopter, and they um, they send the telegraph over to his um, U.S. official saying that he was dead, and then they started doing all of those little um, things to him to make him look older, and then they put him into the room, and then he starts questioning himself. You're yeah, right, Aaron. I think it would have been like interesting if maybe he had no idea about it. Like, uh, as an audience, we would, like, put, like, little clues together as to what was happening. Exactly. Like, the fact that they did that from the get-go, I dislike that, to be quite honest with you. I would have liked to have seen him, like, if, if we found out with him, basically, what was going on. But, uh, yeah, yeah. M maybe that maybe that was kind of like you know the 1960s way of like showing off movies in which like the suspense and the thrill was all about you know whether they would get caught or not or whether you know they would able to have their plan successful. Not about like oh you know this character is going through something. What's going on and putting like a little mystery to it. Mm -hmm. um, can we talk about? Uh, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about. Uh, oh, by the way, I actually worked out the. Uh, the inflation for the $2 million that actually made. Uh, today's money, it would have made $16 million at the box office. Barely anything. That's not bad. Yeah, uh, that's not bad. Well, that's only like $1 million after they honored the movie, really. So and that wasn't considered... I, I mean, that. yeah, that's true. I, I suppose so. But, you know, I, I I mean, I don't think this was like a, uh, a film that had like a major budget, to be quite honest, because most of the filming was done in Yosemite Park. Yeah, well, most of those films back in the day weren't, like, massive, I mean, you know, massive productions, were they, like, uh, you know, compared to what they are today. I mean, oh, so, yeah. I mean, like, the, the Wizard of Oz was all done in studio, so, like... Uh, exactly. You know, yeah, so, uh, yeah, basically, even though that the movie is said to have been, you know, uh, you know, set in London, and then eventually over to Germany, and then they uh, ended off in Switzerland, but no, in reality, it was all filmed in Yosemite National Park. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, looking at uh, one thing I really like to have talked about was uh, the relationship with uh, the uh, the so-called doctor in this. And uh, I do apologize. Oh, yes. Um, hit, yeah. Yeah, Gerber, his name, his name was. Gerber, yeah. So, uh, I mean, like, uh, it kind of makes you wonder who the main villain actually was in this. So, like, you know, it was either going to be Gerber or it was actually going to be Shaq. And uh, obviously Shaq was kind of portrayed as, like, you know, the... Uh, the big villain of the in the final act, but uh, obviously Goober, I think, obviously was a very, I guess you could say, quite complex character. I guess you could say, yeah, because, very uh, much so, because he was an American, and he then he came to Germany when he was sixteen years old, and so he has his loyalties to Germany, but he was able to know, but he knows how to speak English. He knows what the dialect is. He knows how to interact with people who are of the American language, which is why he convinces Pike that he's an American doctor and he does a wonderful job at it. Mm. And then you have, um, you know, his uh, calm and very reassuring ways of convincing Pike that he's like a friend because he spent months and months studying about him. He even said earlier in the movie that he knows him just as well as his own brother. So we, we actually do know that he studied so hard on Pike to comfort him and to make him sure that, you know, he's going to be able to give him the information that he needs without being a complete threat. Mm -hmm. I think uh, with uh, with 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 Goober, I think the, the interactions he has with Pike, you know, it's uh, and even towards the very end, the fact that uh, he was even even like uh, even at the point where he looked like he was going to lose his own life, you know, he was still trying to like pry pry information out of Pike at that point, and uh, so and then you finally kind of see like the, you know the uh, the demise of him as uh, you know he basically takes himself up all the way to the very end. 
and uh, so yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's like you can just kind of see this uh, kind of like maniacalism in within him to obviously try and complete his mission, and uh, you know he's so yeah, exactly. in, in fixated on, uh, on 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 trying to do it. So uh, you know, like you could definitely say that uh, you know he would have been someone who was kind of, would have been quite, uh, I guess, beloved in the national socialist movement of Germany. I guess so. Uh, Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I thought was really, really clever was that he was um, Pike was able to discover that this whole thing was a hoax by the paper cut that he got earlier in the film. It was a very small paper cut, but it was very noticeable because he kind of like, um, you know, slid his hands toward the maps while they were discussing about the plans of invading Normandy. And um, then he like touched his finger and he realized that the paper cut was still there. I mean, if it was like six years later, it would have been healed within like a few days or so. And so that's when he interrogated Anna and saying like, what's the date? And then she tells him it's June 2nd. So it's only been like two days as opposed to six years. And so then, um, you know, he comes up, he tells her to come up, you know, to, he basically tells her, you know, run in hysterics and tell the doctor that, you know, I've known about this all along because of the paper cut in my finger. As in reality, when, uh, when, you know, basically the reason how he knew about it was that he interrogated her saying, you know, wh- uh, how many days has it been? So, uh, and, and also Anna's story is a little bit tragic considering that she was a former uh, Jewish prisoner in a concentration camp and the reason why she was able to get out it was because she was able to speak English and she was an, a- an actual nurse and so she was able to work with the enemy to help um, comfort these interrogated soldiers to give out information so that they can be able to counteract their enemies mm-hmm. and you, you, you do kind of feel sorry for her oh yeah you feel massively sorry for her she's like yeah she's a former yeah she's a former uh, concentration prisoner of a concentration camp which killed six million jews so yeah i feel massively sorry for her well i mean you have to, after, and you, i mean remember in the scenes of the movie where she was talking about like all the things that she had to do to survive like when she was uh taken into a clinic of old people and instead of giving them soup because they could barely pick up a spoon that she fed them water and she took the soup for herself so she can be able to live mm. so like yeah it's very it's very awful stuff and uh yeah it's like really compelling as well when uh uh, when when she's uh, when she's you know, she does she she's one of the best uh, actresses in the in the movie. Oh yeah, she's, every, I think that uh, the three main um, actors, uh, James Garner, Ava Marie Saint, and Rod Taylor, they're all done amazingly. Uh, a lot of people may know who James Garner is. Uh, for you may know him for The Great Escape or Victor Victoria, but most people probably know him nowadays as Duke in The Notebook or the commander in Atlantis, the lost empire. Mm-hmm. And as for Eva Marie Saint, uh, you know, she's been in a lot of TV shows and movies. She's been in like, um, uh, let's see from what I can remember. North by Northwest was probably one of her most famous roles in it. And she was also in, um, uh, let's see, Grand Prix, nothing in common. But I think most people nowadays know her as Ma Kent in Superman returns or Katara in the legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, it's just amazing how uh, you know it's amazing how these actors and actresses kind of transcend into uh, you know <laughs> into our today's media as well, and uh, the fact that we're, we're even talking about it now, like it's uh, yeah, yeah, like, for sure. Stuff like this just stand the test of time in some ways, and in other ways they also don't as well, which we'll always get into later on later on in this. But uh, yeah, yeah. So 
Okay, so Pike figures out that he has not been asleep for six years and that he's not suffering from amnesia, but instead that he is being interrogated by the Germans. And so Shaq I think one clever tell- thing I'd like to point out, which is uh, when he goes to the when he goes to goes to inspect the guard at the, at the gate, and he basically says, "Oh, hey, hello, General," and he does the he does basically the uh, the salute that the Nazis do, bang, you know, clapping their hips uh, heels together. And uh, you can see how, and like even that, like is just a massive giveaway of like where he is. And uh, yeah, so, exactly. Like, yeah, so like it's just everything just starts to fall into place after that, and even he starts to realize what's going on. And mm-hmm. so it's so yeah. yeah. One thing I want to point out though is that uh, you know the the amount of violence against women in this movie, like uh, the fact that uh, you know uh, you know um, um, Pike, you know pretty much you know, manhandles. <laughs> You know, uh, the amount of honor, and then at one point, like you know, he, just, he smacks her across the face, trying to get some kind of like hysteria out of her, and uh, you know, it's uh, and you know, Anna takes it, you know, quite, 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 mer- well, not mercifully, but uh, you know, obviously, just takes it in her stride, and uh, that that's uh, she's seen so much horror in her life that she's got no more tears to give. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, she was talking about like how she can't cry anymore because, you know, she already gave up all of her tears from seeing all the women, men, and children die in Auschwitz and Ravensbrück. So that she can't cry anymore. And so, uh, when Pike tells her to start going, his you know, hysterical, she says she can't. And so he slaps her, and then she starts running out screaming and, and uh, telling uh, the doctor uh, about what happened. And then that's when. Uh, they start getting um, the interrogation going on, the actual interrogation that they wanted to do originally. So Shaq comes along and tries to um, put a light into his face and basically just tell him off for, you know, saying like, where is the invasion going to be at? And in reality, um, the invasion is at Normandy, but they don't believe it's going to be at Normandy. They believe it's going to be in a different location. Uh, so they actually decide to go over to that location while the you know while Normandy is completely um, you know f- free from most of the German soldiers, so um, it's a- it's actually interesting because Gerber knew that this were um, you know Normandy was going to be the place where the American soldiers would be at, but because Sheck thinks that the interrogation that he did for Pike was the true interrogation, that they were going to be going over to a different place, um, that they were uh, yeah past de Calais. That's where they were planning on going. That's another uh, place in France. It's a little bit more northern. So they decided that they were going to put all of their troops over there. And um, that's when um, Gerber, you know, kind of like has a bit of um, uh, uh, an epiphany about like, oh, you know, basically Anna is involved with this too, because that's when they were able to find the cyanide pill that was in the floor, which earlier in the film, that's what Anna had in case if she was ever taken back. She put it in the glasses, and uh, if you remember, and then she gave, tried to give it to uh, to, to Pike, and uh, in order to try and you know shut him up, and so uh, like, uh, but unfortunately, that he fell out, and obviously he failed. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um. So I mean, the um obviously getting to the point where um they are obviously know where Normandy is uh, going to be it, but then they start getting suspicious because they think that uh, oh, it's. Uh, no Normandy, they think he's not actually telling the truth, and then the whole thing starts to fall apart, and they actually think that it's actually going to be Calais, which they're actually going to be uh, trying to invade, and so that ends up being kind of like the uh, the default position, and that's when uh, uh, Goober ends up kind of being in the doghouse, really, for um, obviously the uh, the ex- his uh, thirty six hour experiments, obviously just you know falling to pieces. So uh, and uh, even then, after that happens, uh, he's still trying to uh, 
go try and get the uh, correct information out of it by you know obviously you know doing false uh, bombings and uh, making it all like they're actually you know going and things like that. So it's uh, still all of that still play still still plays out and like uh, the whole uh, ten, you know the whole drama still goes on as well for throughout all of that and uh, it makes you wonder if you know that message that goes directly to you know uh, the uh, the the commander of uh, of the german army of whether he's going actually going to move uh, the soldiers down to um, to normandy or not to uh, go confront the invasion and uh, then uh, they decide oh no it's to get they get check into zebsit and says oh it's not gonna they they both believe it's not gonna happen so they end up ripping it up so it's uh, yeah the whole the whole drama, you know, which is out of their hands now, obviously still plays out for the audience to, uh, to, uh, to, to take in. And, uh, so it's, uh, it's, uh, those are the bits that I do like, you know, that when all this gets talked about in that, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate that it kind of feels like it takes away from the, uh, the whole illusion of, uh, this, uh, you know, this fake prison, this is not sorry, this fake hospital and everything. And so it's, uh, I can understand probably from uh, a movie telling perspective, it's kind of hard to probably tell once you know, you can't just kind of tell one story and then blatantly tell like the other side of it really without obviously trying to come, you know, obviously trying to, uh, um, you know, cause, uh, I'm trying to find the best word for it. Um, obviously trying to find, uh, trying to, uh, you know, obviously, you know, right off the other side of it, if you know, if you know what I mean. And, uh, so yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's like, it's, uh, so it's kind of, it's kind of a shame really that you know this really really could have been like two it could have been like a two-story movie really like one half could have been told like in on one in one side of the on one side of the story and then the other story could have been told of like how they try to fool him so they could, could have kept like the illusion and then obviously have the story and then obviously have the two kind of meet together if you will kind of like you know what there was, actually there was a good movie that you know quentin tarantino's uh what's it called uh the uh um the uh hateful eight so like you kind of like hateful eight like you know this whole illusion's going on like uh, this is uh, you know they're all in this house and uh, you know it's uh, then they realize you know this was before the bandits came in and killed everybody because they want to get their uh, you know they want to get their, uh, their their gang member out out of uh, from the clutches of being hanged and so it's kind of like you know if if they probably played the illusion probably at the beginning of the movie and then led on halfway through that this actually wasn't going on and like this whole thing was just, just a ruse you know and like uh, just to uh, kind of like uh, get the uh, Get, you know, get get their get their uh, get this person free. Like uh, maybe if they kind of kept that going on, uh, you know, not not let on, you know, maybe I probably would have enjoyed it probably a bit more than I did. But uh, you know, uh, they kind of mixed and matched it all together really, and it kind of came out yeah, some good and some bad really. So yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So um, then the next thing that happens is that. Um, you know, they basically, um, so Sheik sends over the, uh, his soldiers over to Normandy to see if any of the U.S. soldiers are going to be there to start their invasion. They don't show up. And so they think that Gerber is lying. And so they have his arrest. And then they have Anna and Pike like to, locked up in a room so that they can be able to be interrogated more. And so... Then um, uh, basically Gerber decides to help them out. He decides to, you know, set them free as a revenge to Sheck, not as to, you know, um, you know, help them out as opposed to like, you know, feeling a bit guilty. I guess he does feel a little bit guilty, but it's mostly just for revenge against Sheck. So he gives, um, you know, he gives him a package of the 18 soldiers that you know, were interrogated and then he gives him a spare key and he also 
you know, gives them plans about like, you know, go over to the woods and at night and, you know, escape over to your minister friend and try to see if you can make it out to Switzerland. And so then the escape happens and we even have uh, Gerber calling over the front desk to distract them while, you know, Pike, you know, strangles his neck to death. And then finally he goes over to the, the minister's house, who is a soldier who still praises Hitler. And but at the same time, he wants to be able to help them escape. So he come, they come up with this plan about like escaping through the woods, meeting over at some rocks, and then there will be a truck that would come and pick them up. And so they can be able to make it across the border to Switzerland. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, so this helps them out. And obviously, uh, Jack catches on that uh, obviously they've uh, they've escaped and uh, he's going to go after them himself, which is uh, kind of weird when you really think about it because you know you thought he would like he would have brought some kind of backup with him uh, at, mm-hmm. at some point. In the fact that you know, I'm sure they weren't somewhat, or maybe they were short of them, I don't know, but uh. Uh, I mean, he did he did have a few soldiers, um, you know, look around in some locations earlier in the film, but they couldn't find them. And so then he when he realizes um, that they were at the minister's house because that was the information that um, Gerber told to Sheck earlier in the film when they were doing the interrogation the first time. He decides to take it on himself. And so he then takes the car and right before he heads over to the minister's house uh, and he learns about their disappearance, that's when... Um, we have him going over to Gerber's room and Gerber injected himself with something lethal and he's about to die. And so then when he realizes that they're at the minister's place hiding, uh, Gerber tries to shoot him dead, but he dies from the injection and he just shoots up at the air and he falls to the ground. Pretty dramatic so then, death when you really look at it. Like, the yeah, it is, it is pretty dramatic, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Um... I mean, obviously they uh, they do escape and they do make it into Switzerland, and uh, so and, uh, but, and also Shag uh, meets a pretty uh, gruesome demise, being shot by his own uh, his own his own, sh- his own stormtrooper, pretty much, and uh, so and then uh, to uh, make it look like he didn't murder him, he actually like hung him up on the uh, on the barbed wire fence to make sure that so uh, you know it was like uh, he made it out like oh he tried to escape so I shot him you know so he so he couldn't get out and yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, so, and then he leaves with the uh, classic line of like, you, you can't trust anybody nowadays, you know. So, but uh, up, but up, you know. So. <laughs> yes, and, and then finally we have the conclusion where they're at Switzerland, and um, you know, Anna's going to go to an, an internment camp, and um, we, Pike is going to go over to the American embassy. So they go their separate ways, and then we have the scene concluding with um, Anna crying for the first time, and she cries because you know she's being separated from Pike and they went through so much together and so that's basically how the movie ends yeah it's a very uh uh you know it's like it's very it's very interesting you could say it's kind of quite very very forward thinking but mind you i guess you could say that's a casablanca was kind of forward thinking saying like you know uh not having the you know the uh, the main lead and the main woman get together i guess but uh obviously this one does the kind of the same thing really like it's like oh it's just it's uh you know it's uh not gonna not going to be and then it's kind of like ends on that note so uh, yeah Okay, so, uh, I mean, like, you know, in regards to overall, 36 Hours isn't necessarily, you know, out of all the films that Roald Dahl's been involved in, this isn't necessarily my favorite one, I'll be honest with you. Like, uh, I still have my heart set on, you know, the BFG 1989 as well, like, being one of his better ones, really. And uh, so, like, I think that uh, 36 Hours, I think, uh, you know, obviously, you know, with, uh, you know, um, you know, with uh, Beware of the Dog, 
Uh, I think there was some, you know, obviously some um, leeway they actually took with the book, you know, you know, bringing it onto the movie. So definitely, you know, letting on too too much about the uh, the whole thing was a ruse, and uh, you know, like uh, too, too many uh, liberations, at least I think for my for my liking. So. Um, well, 36 hours will be enjoyable to sit through. I think, uh, at least when I when I watched it, I don't particularly think it's going to be my favorite all time Roll Doll uh, inspired movie. I don't think. So. Yeah, as for me, I did enjoy some parts of it. Uh, the suspense was actually pretty decent. I did like some of the characters, and um, I I do like some parts of the music a little bit. And but there are some things that uh, do kind of hold it back, like you were saying before. Like there should have been a little bit more build up towards uh, where Pike discovers that it wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't in a coma for five years, but instead, you know, it was just only two days, and he was just drugged so that he could be interrogated. Um, and also, um, I think that there are some. Uh, parts of the story that could have been fleshed out a little bit more or maybe there's some parts of it that could have been removed to keep things a little tighter but I think that a movie that came out in the 60s and you know uh, especially like a war thriller as uh, you know the kind of stuff that Roald Dahl was doing at the time um, I think it's pretty decent if any of you guys are interested in checking it out then you could but when it comes to like the definitive Roald Dahl adaptations this is not one that I would go to first yeah. I would say probably go to like maybe sixth, seventh, or eighth because there's plenty of others that are much better. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, uh, next time we are going to be going into one of those famous adaptations. We're going to jump in about six years to 1971 to discuss about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, so uh, nice uh, bit of sweetness to go into. Yes, <laughs> sweetness for the audience, but bitterness for Roald Dahl himself. Yeah, and uh, we'll get further into that once we get to it. So Yes. So until then, I hope that you guys enjoyed listening to our discussion of uh, 36 Hours, and we will see you in the next one. See you, everybody.